Welcome. You're listening to the Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine War Podcast, the show that cuts through the fog of war and updates you about the ongoing conflict in Ukraine. With your host, Linnea Hubbard. Don't forget to like, comment and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify and Google Podcasts. I'm Linnea Hubbard and today is Saturday, February 18th, 2023. It's been 3,279 days since Russia occupied Crimea on February 27, 2014, and 360 days since the large-scale invasion of Ukraine began. Today's podcast looks at what happened yesterday in the Russia-Ukraine war. The Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine War Report is compiled by our team from around the world. Today's report includes information from direct contacts in Ukraine and their proxies, Russian Ministry of Defense reports, the General Staff of the Armed Forces of Ukraine reports, Operational Commands North, South, and East of Ukraine, Open Source Intelligence, our in-house team of analysts and geolocation experts, and pro-Ukrainian and pro-Russian mill bloggers and social media accounts with a track record of trying to be accurate. We have one mission, to report the truth, because the truth matters. Some quick housekeeping. Because of the significant increase in operational tempo, we are suspending most non-combat coverage. If the volume or rate of intel merits it, we will livestream on those video-supporting social media platforms like YouTube, TikTok, Instagram, Facebook, that sort of thing. Let's go ahead and get started with our assessment of the current status of the war. First, Our assessment that winter weather would play a larger role on the battlefield through February 19th was accurate, with one Russian mill blogger saying that poor weather is complicating operations. Second, we maintain that Russia's large-scale offensive has started, and the Russian Ministry of Defense, or MOD, is attempting to retake the initiative. We probably don't need to keep reiterating it, so this is the last day for this particular assessment— And there is near-universal agreement that there will be no shock-and-awe or coordinated multi-brigade combined arms attack. Third, due to reported equipment, communications, and ammunition shortages, we have very low confidence that Russian forces will launch a larger, concentrated offensive in one or more directions on or before February 24th. Fourth, We maintain that data shows that Russian tactics and the quality of training for Mobik units is only incrementally better than the first wave into Ukraine in October, and the Russian military within Ukraine remains incapable of dramatically changing the battlefield situation in the coming weeks. Fifth, we maintain that the Russian Minister of Defense, Sergei Shoigu, is actively working to eliminate the influence of private military company or PMC Wagner Group and its leader, Yevgeny Prigozhin, both on and off the battlefield. Sixth, we maintain that the risk of another punitive missile and drone strike on civilians and civilian infrastructure from February 23rd to 24th is extremely high, despite another missile strike on Ukraine yesterday and today. Seventh, we maintain that Russian forces will continue to target electrical, heating, and potable water infrastructure. Eighth, We maintain that the Russian Federation's inventory of caliber cruise missiles is critically low based on the continued decline of launches from the Black Sea Fleet. And finally, we maintain that there is a risk of a nuclear accident caused by the de-energization of Ukrainian nuclear power plants 
as a result of Russian electrical infrastructure destruction. Let's get some regional updates, starting with Kharkiv. In the Dvorichna operational area, the General Staff of the Armed Forces of Ukraine, or GSAFU, the Russian MOD and mercenary mill blogger Wargonzo reported continued fighting for control of Hryanikivka. The Russian MOD reported fighting in the area of Liman Pershi, while the GSAFU reported a Russian attack on Sinkivka was repulsed. The city of Kharkiv was hit by S-300 anti-aircraft missiles used for a ground attack that targeted civilian infrastructure. Up to 2,000 households were without power after the attack, and engineers were working to restore the grid. Moving on to the Donbass region in Luhansk. In the Svantova operational direction, the GSAFU reported that Novoselivsk was shelled. The GSAFU and Russian MOD reported fighting in the direction of Stelmachivka, with multiple sources reporting that Russia made no new gains throughout Luhansk. In the Kremina operational area, fighting between squad and platoon-sized groups continued. Russian mill blogger German Kulikovsky reported that fighting was positional and almost close enough for hand-to-hand combat at times, but there were not enough attacks to move the line of conflict, and Ukraine has a, quote, numerical superiority in some areas. Russian mercenary mill blogger Rybar reported an unsuccessful attack on Ploshanka by Ukrainian troops. Rybar was the second mill blogger to report that Ukrainian forces are on the offensive again. Luhansk Oblast administrative and military governor Serhii Haidai reported that the settlement of Makivka has been completely destroyed after three and a half months of relentless Russian artillery strikes. The GSAFU reported that Chervanopopivka was shelled and a Russian attack in the area of Kremina was repelled. Fighting continued northwest, west, southwest, and south of the Russian-controlled settlement, with Russian and Ukrainian troops trading defensive positions. Luhansk Governor Haidai said that Russian forces are using electronic warfare to jam drones and radio communications. The GSAFU and Russian MOD reported fighting around Dibrova, which Russia still controls, but in our assessment, Ukrainian forces are pushing towards the western edges, unraveling the Russian territorial gains from last week. Mercenary mill blogger Wargonzo reported that Russian forces are continuing attempts to push Ukrainian forces back by advancing through the Seversky Donetsk River floodplain from Shiplivka. In the Lusychansk operational area, Russian forces again tried to attack Bilohorivka, the one in Luhansk, this time from the southeast. They were still unsuccessful. Governor Haidai said the remaining PMC Wagner Group units in Luhansk have been withdrawn and replaced with Russian Mobiks. In the late fall, Wagner led the attacks on Bilohorivka and across the Luhansk-Donetsk border on Spirne. We noted a significant reduction in their presence at the beginning of 2023. Some assessment. The reason for the reduction in the intensity of Russian attacks and the shifting of momentum back to Ukraine is unclear. The report from Kulikovsky that Ukraine is holding a numerical troop advantage west and southwest of Kremina was pretty surprising, given the number of military resources Russia brought to the region. 
In northeast Donetsk, in the Siversk operational area, Russian forces supported by PMC Wagner continued their attempts to advance on Fedorivka from Mykolaivka and remained blocked by the Ukrainian 93rd Mechanized Brigade. Do I have a crush on the entire 93rd Mechanized Brigade? Yes. Yes, I do. It was the same situation in the Solidar operational area, with Russian forces continuing their attempts to advance on Rozdolivka. In the Bakhmut operational area, PMC Wagner advanced to the city center of Paraskovievka and released a picture of a squad of mercenaries at the hospital's ambulance bay. This is west of the railroad station and mine entrance. Wagner Group's leader Yevgeny Prigozhin declared the city captured by his forces. The GSAFU and Rybar reported that fighting continued, but both reports were published before the capture claim. Based on local reports, we coded the settlement as Russian-controlled, but did not move the line of conflict to the M3 highway. A graphic, geolocated video confirmed the location of the line of conflict east of Zaliznyansk. Either Russian troops or PMC Wagner mercenaries come under fire by Ukrainian artillery and suffer the loss of close to a platoon in a tree line. Some people may find the video disturbing. As with most of the photos and videos we reference, we do link to it in our full situation report on Patreon. There have been reports since February 3rd that Russian troops are in Berkhivka, with Russian sources claiming that information came from a Ukrainian source. The GSAFU, however, reported that the settlement on the northern edge of Bakhmut was heavily shelled and hit by airstrikes, with a Russian MOD setting conditions for an attack. In southwest Donetsk, intense fighting in the eastern and southern regions of Bakhmut continued, with no change in the situation. Mercenary mill blogger Rybar reported, without providing a source, that PMC Wagner was fighting in the Mariupol Cemetery in southern Bakhmut. In eastern Bakhmut, a geolocated video showed a Ukrainian BMP firing at almost point-blank range on a Russian position. The fighting was just off the T-1302 highway, within a city block of the line of conflict on our map. Fighting continued in snow-covered trenches, with video showing a Ukrainian soldier being very lucky as a bullet whizzed past the camera. Despite the conditions, troop morale was high. Another video showed a solitary Ukrainian soldier holding a position with a grenade launcher and two machine guns. In the video, he shoots a Russian soldier just a few meters away, who appeared unaware of the Ukrainian foxhole. The video may be disturbing to some viewers. In the Kostyantinivka operational direction, Ukrainian troops continued to pressure PMC Wagner and Russian positions south and southeast of Ivanivsky. PMC Wagner and at least one other analyst indicate that the gray area has reached the northern edge of Klishivka. Multiple reports show that Ukrainian troops are advancing trench by trench, attacking at night. Russian forces continued their attempts to advance out of Vodyana towards Yevrene and their attacks on Pervomaisky. After three days of intense attacks on the Ukrainian firebase at Nevelsky, the 1st Army Corps broke off their assault. In the Marinka operational area, Rybar reported poor weather was hampering offensive operations. Pavlo Kirilenko, Donetsk Oblast administrative and military governor, countered the report, saying Marinka was heavily shelled. 
the situation remains very difficult, with the settlement destroyed after months of Russian artillery strikes, leaving little to defend. In the Ukhidar operational area, the 1st Army Corps continued its frontal attack on eastern Novomikhailivka, with the same result as every other situation report we've produced since our very first one on March 12th. There is no change in the situation. Russian sources claimed that the dachas west of Mikhilsky were recaptured and, as proof, released a video of a TOS-1 multiple launch rocket system, or MLRS, attacking the dachas with thermobaric rockets. This means either A, Ukrainian troops still control the dachas, or B, Russian troops attacked their own forces. While both are definitely possible, our analyst team went with A, Ukraine still controls the dachas. Fighting continued near Wuhidar with no change in the situation. An analysis of pictures and videos from January 25th to February 17th has visually confirmed Russia has lost 84 armored vehicles since the attempts to capture the key transit hub started. This is a similar number of vehicles lost during three failed river crossing attempts on the Siversky Donetsk in Luhansk from May 8th to May 12th, which rendered a brigade combat destroyed. Further west, Russian forces attempted to advance on Prechistivka and were ultimately unsuccessful. In the Velika Novosilka operational area, Russian forces attacked in the direction of Novosilka and were repulsed. Insurgents in Mariupol reported that poor weather was snarling Russian logistics. Security has been increased on military convoys looking for partisans documenting troop movements. Most traffic was headed west toward Berdyansk, carrying ammunition. Self-declared leader of the Donetsk People's Republic, or DNR, Denis Pushilin, said that regular rail service between the DNR and Russia that's original recipe Russia, not patchwork annexation Russia can't be restored because of continued Ukrainian shelling. The claim is questionable at best, with the Russia-Ukraine rail crossing at Dolzhansky out of range of all of the weapons in Ukraine's arsenal. Moving on to Zaporizhia. There was no reported change in the status of the Zaporizhia nuclear power plant, and we still don't know the status of reactors 5 and 6. The water level of the Kokhovsky Reservoir continues to drop after Russian forces damaged one of the spillgates in November during their retreat across the Dnipro. If the water level continues to fall, it could endanger the water supply on both sides of the Dnipro and, in a worst-case scenario, leave ZNPP without cooling water for the reactors. In the Black Sea, Crimea, Mykolaiv, and Odessa region, Operational Command South, or OCS, reported there were 12 vessels of the Black Sea Fleet on patrol, including three frigates and one Kilo-class submarine capable of launching 28-caliber cruise missiles in total. At the time of recording, Russia had launched four- to six-caliber cruise missiles at Ukraine. There were multiple reports of loud explosions over Sevastopol earlier in the day, but no other information. Russian officials claim they intercepted a Ukrainian drone. In western and central Ukraine, in Kherson, Russian and Ukrainian forces traded sporadic artillery strikes across the Dnipro River. East of the Dnipro, 
Russian-occupied Kakhovka, Nova Kakhovka, and Olishki were shelled. Ukrainian forces have significantly increased to destroy enemy air defense activity in eastern Kherson, destroying a Russian missile complex in Chaplinka near the Crimea-Kherson administrative border. The video of the explosion showed air defense missiles cooking off and launching in multiple directions. A video from the Operational Armed Forces of Ukraine strongly implied that Ukrainian Special Operation Forces, or SOF, completed a sabotage mission on the east bank of the Dnipro. The video showed a group of Ukrainian troops crossing the river at first light, with a large fire burning on the opposite bank. In Khmelnytsky, local officials reported two explosions related to the cruise missile launch from the Black Sea. One of the missiles landed in a residential area, causing major damage to 10 apartment towers and three schools, blowing out over 500 windows. Two people were hospitalized. The second missile struck a military facility. In north and northeast Ukraine, Russian forces attacked seven Hromadas in Sumy, including Esman, Yunakivka, Khotin, Krasnopilia, Bilopilia, Khluhiv, and Snobnovhorodsk. The city of Krasnopilia was hit by two S-300 anti-aircraft missiles used for a ground attack, which landed near the railroad station. The concussive force broke windows in the area. 30 grad rockets fired by MLRS hit Khluhiv, and 28 mortars struck Khotin. There weren't any reports of significant damage or injuries. The GSAFU dismissed rumors that Russia had massed 10,000 troops on the border of Sumy and was building a field hospital as false information. On the Russian front, Ukrainian forces reportedly shelled Shebikino and Novoyatavilshanka in the Belgorod Federal District. In Kursk, the villages of Elizavetovka and Popovalesachi were shelled, an electrical substation was damaged, knocking out power to Cherevanozhovtneve and Volfina. And that's what we know. Join me again on Monday for more updates. Until then, stay safe, everyone. You've been listening to the Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine War Podcast. To help keep us independent, please consider providing financial support by becoming a patron. Want on-demand news in your hand? Download the Google News app and make Malcontent News one of your favorites to receive breaking news updates. Thank you for listening.